Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 19. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 19. We're continuing to go travel with the Lord Jesus Christ as we see His life and ministry portrayed through the Gospel Record of Luke. And we've been following the Lord Jesus Christ as he is making his way to Jerusalem. And there at Jerusalem, Jesus Christ is going to be arrested, put on a false trial. He's going to be scourged and beaten. He's going to be crucified on a cross, buried on a borrowed tomb. And the third day, he is going to rise again to live forevermore. Now we find our way outside of the city of Jericho. Jericho is only 17 miles away from Jerusalem. And so Jesus Christ is getting very close to the end goal. But there's still some work to do before Jesus Christ arrives to Jerusalem. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke chapter 19. And let's see the events that occur when Jesus Christ comes to the city of Jericho. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 19. And Notice with me in verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, forasmuch as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he hath given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art a steward man. Thou takest up what thou layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. And he said, saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an asture man, taking up that which I laid not down, and reaping that which I did not sow. Wherefore, then givest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto him, them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they that said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark an entire verse that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter 19? The gospel record of Luke chapter 19, and notice with me in verse number 10. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach this great verse in this great passage and hit this purpose of Jesus Christ, the purpose of his own life and the purpose that he has given to us, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, Lord, this is such a great passage, such an important passage. And Lord, I'm asking that you would give us wisdom and discernment, that you would help us to have a great understanding of this passage, that you would give me your Holy Spirit power to preach it correctly and preach it in such a way that we would have a clear understanding and be able to apply it. Lord, we know that one day every single one of us is going to have to stand before you and give an account of our lives. Let us understand what we're given an account for. What's the purpose? What are you trying to get accomplished? What are we to do? And let us see what a great and generous God you are for our faithfulness unto you. Again, 
Lord, you work. Draw us near. And we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we were to take a summary of the entire life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and turn it to a verse, to a saying, to make a declarative statement, what was the Lord Jesus Christ's great purpose? It would be this, that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What was Jesus' purpose? To save those that were lost. And not just save them, to seek after them, to look after them. And for all of us who have known Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's what happened for us. Jesus sought us out and had someone present us with the gospel. And we accepted him that we have a seeking God who came after us, came looking for us. We see this account in a historical passage and a parable, both of them coming with the same message, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you don't mind, the first thing we want to show is the man who got saved. The man who got saved. Of course, we're very familiar with Luke chapter 19 and this beginning passage, this man of Zacchaeus. We sing Sunday school songs about him. But let's see what the historical passage says. It says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Of course, we gave a little bit of statistics about Jericho, that Jericho is 17 miles uh, to Jerusalem. It's the gateway. It's a resort place. It's a place where all, (laughs) excuse me, All of the major trade routes, either going from Egypt or going from Syria to go to Arabia to any of the trade routes, they all cross at Jericho. It was a meeting place. It was a place where in the middle of winter you could go to Jericho and it would be warm. It would be like where the snowbirds would travel in order to stay warm during the winter. It was just a, um, a resort type trading town. And so... In a resort type trading town, it was also a place with lots of money. And so with this, we're introduced to a person here the Bible says quite a bit about. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans and He was rich. So the Bible gives us some information. Now we know that the publicans would be the tax collectors. They are Hebrew people who work alongside the Roman government in order to uh, collect the taxes from the people. Basically the people would see them as extorting the money from them and help the Roman government to continue to dominate their rule over the Hebrew people. The publicans were not looked fondly on. They were looked as enemies. And partially because of the money they made off of the people. Now, when someone was to become a chief publican of an area, they would be the number one tax collector, the number one uh, person in charge. And so for someone to get this, the way that they had um, set it up is that the Roman government did not take taxes directly from the people. They would put someone else in charge. And in order to get this position, it was a contract where people would make bids on it. And so for Zacchaeus to be the chief public and to be the head tax collector, he had to put an actual bid on the contract and outbid everyone else to get the job. 
Now, when you were a chief tax collector, the way that it would work is that all the tax collectors would be under him. And the other tax collectors would actually go and knock on the people's door, get the taxes from them. Then they would keep part of the money and they would send the rest of it up the chain. The chief tax collector got a cut from everyone's cut. And then what would happen is that Rome would demand a certain amount of taxes. And the only person in the area that would know how much taxes Rome had asked for would be the chief tax collector, the chief publican. He would be the only one who would know what the price was and then he only had to give what Rome required. The rest of it went to his own pockets. And so when it says that he was rich, it is a very big deal. He is very very wealthy. To have a lucrative contract inside of a resort city where there's lots of money and lots of trading would be the very top job for a tax collector. This is where the person in charge is going to be raking in lots and lots of money and he knows how much Rome wants. He gets to pocket everything else. This is Zacchaeus. When it says that he was rich, it's not just that he was rich. He was very rich. Now, if you might remember that just before in chapter 18, you had a young man of the rich young ruler who had many possessions. And when he walked away sorrowful, not wanting to give up any of his possessions, Jesus said, how hardly is it for a rich man to go into heaven? And people just shook and said, who can go to heaven then? They're all shocked. And just to show great, God's great power, he, he follows up that last story with the rich young ruler with a biblical account of Zacchaeus who is very rich and still was able to get saved. This is a wonderful account that we see the purpose of Jesus Christ that the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And here is a tax collector who has made his money extorting. People. That's how the Hebrew people saw it. That he was extorting money from everyone else. He was taking the money that they needed and taking it for himself. He was the chief extorter. He was the chief blackmailer. He was the chief robber of all of our money. He was not liked at all. In order to be the chief publican and to win out that contract, you had to win the contract out from other people. He was not very popular. He was not very liked. In fact, the most hated man in all of Jericho would be a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was not liked. He, there was a political party called the Zealots out there. The Zealots would be known to kill publicans and to assassinate them because they were so hated. And so here's a man who's the most hated man. He's a man who the public would not defend him. In fact, many people, if they got a chance, would love to kill him and no one would say a word. Here's a man who's rich, but he's fearful, hated, lonely, and miserable. Very much a sinner and needing of a savior. And so we're introduced to Zacchaeus. Notice his desire, verse 3. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He wanted to learn about Jesus and see who he was. And could not because of the press, because he was little of stature. So now he's got a problem. He's very little of stature. He's a small, short little guy. If you could imagine a little five foot guy. 
trying to get in the crowd, knowing that he can't push his way through the crowd because he's hated. And so it's not like, pardon me, excuse me. He doesn't want to disturb people and get them aggravated at him. And so there's not much he could do. He's standing behind the crowd. He wants to see Jesus. He wants to meet Jesus. How is he going to meet Jesus? How is he going to see about Jesus if, if they can't see him? And so he comes up with a plan. Verse number four. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he, Jesus, was to pass that way. Now the sycamore trees would actually be outside of the city limits. The town limits for, uh, for God, uh, close to a mile. And so he knew that Jesus Christ was going to travel out that way. So he ran ahead. By the way, for Hebrew men, it was not proper etiquette for a man to run. And so... He runs ahead. He climbs into a tree, which is not dignified for an old man who worthy of respect to climb a tree. And so he climbs a tree. He wants very much to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. So he's hiding in this sycamore tree, climbs up, waiting for Jesus to come. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now, I don't know what you'd be thinking, but as Zacchaeus has had one of those days, he's embarrassed himself by running. He's embarrassed himself by climbing a tree. He's hiding up the tree. He just wants to see Jesus. And the crowd comes. Jesus stops under the tree, looks up through the leaves, and sees Zacchaeus there. I mean, there's nowhere for him to run now. He's kind of stuck under the tree. It's not like he climbed down really quick. And Jesus looks up at him and addresses and speaks to him. And the whole crowd's there watching Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. This whole crowd has just watched Jesus address the chiefest sinner of all the city. And Jesus says, I want to go hang out with you and eat at your house tonight, today. Wow, the crowd's now watching this and they're not responding well. So notice verse 6, and he, Zacchaeus, made haste and came down and received him joyfully. So he comes down. You can imagine him shaking. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go now. Let's go now. I want to come on. Let's go. And the whole crowd saw it, verse 7, and when they, so here's this they, here's the crowd. The crowd now in is people who watching Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, the Pharisees around Jesus, they. This they is covering everyone. And they saw it. They all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. I thought Jesus was holy. What is he doing going with the most hated man in all of town? Why? Because Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's coming to find the worst sinners and bring them to himself. And Zacchaeus qualified as the worst of the sinners. Notice, as Jesus has this encounter with him, Zacchaeus immediately changes. And by the way, when someone does have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a life-changing thing. Zacchaeus, verse 8, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Let's pause there. He's a very rich man. And because of his encounter with Jesus, he's willing to give up half of his stuff. Half of his money. This is a big deal. This isn't the idea, well, I got $10, might as well give five to the Lord. He has lots of money. He is the richest man in town. And he's giving up half 
Just half. And then on top of that, he says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, meaning that, hey, you owe me $100 worth of taxes when they only owe 25 He cheated them out. He says, I will restore him fourfold. I'll give him four times back of what I took from him. Here's a man who realized that he was a sinner and he needed Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. And he wanted to do everything he could to get right with God. This is an amazing thing. Now imagine you're the crowd and you watch the chiefest of sinners all of a sudden make a life-changing decision. To immediately not just make a decision, but his entire life changes. People's jaws are dropped. People are in amazement. Wow. To see someone get saved and not just get saved, I meant he got saved. And people are going, wow. This isn't fake. This isn't for show. This is amazing to watch the, the most low down, hated sinner Turn his life around because he met with Jesus Christ. This can't be faked. This is real. That the Son of Man has come to seek and to save which was lost. Notice Jesus gave commentary on this. Verse number 9. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to the house, for as much as he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Oh, what an amazing story. What an amazing thing that Jesus Christ came. And his purpose was to take people who were against Christ, who were sinners, who did not want to help others but help themselves, have an encounter with them. And now the people that used to be against Jesus are for Jesus. Now, it's one thing to hear about a stranger. But when you know That the chiefest of sinners, the worst sinner in town, just immediately has a different life. That's pretty amazing. Which brings me to a second thing. There's a misunderstanding of the kingdom. Not only the man who got saved, but then there's immediately a misunderstanding of the season. uh, The kingdom. Now, Jesus saw Zacchaeus get saved. And the people saw Zacchaeus get saved. And they saw the change of manner, the change of life immediately in Zacchaeus. And they immediately said, man, Jesus is bringing the kingdom right here and now. I mean, you might as well enter into heaven right now. The the kingdom needs to start. If someone like this could get saved, it's got to be here. In fact, notice what they said in verse 11. Now, Jesus is going to add a parable, but notice this. And as they heard these things, he added a and spake a parable. Why? Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You see, they knew Zacchaeus. They knew how he was like. They knew what he was like. And to see someone get saved and immediately turn their life around and it was not fake, they said, the kingdom's got to be coming now. And so Jesus takes their misunderstanding of the kingdom and he says, I want to teach you something. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is really like. Remember, he already said his purpose is to seek and to save that which was lost. 
So then he now enters into a parable because they have the misunderstanding of the kingdom. Again, what they thought was going to happen is that Jesus Christ was going to open up the gates, throw overthrow the Roman government, reestablish Judaism for all of the world, and the people now were going to have just an enjoyable life. But they had a misunderstanding of what Jesus' purpose was. Which now brings us to the parable. The meaning of the parable. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of the time. All of this is backdrop. All of this is to bring us here. Since they want to know about the kingdom, they had a misunderstanding of the kingdom. And Jesus tried to tell them the purpose of that he had, he now tells him a parable to tie in these two things. The purpose of his life is to seek and to save that which was lost. And he wants to answer their idea of the kingdom to try to let them know what the kingdom of God is going to be like and how to prepare for it. So notice with me, if you don't mind, in what we often call the parable of the pounds. Now, there is another similar parable, the parable of the talents in the gospel record of Matthew. But there are enough differences that we could clearly say these are two different parables. That's neither here nor there, but there are two different parables that do teach something similar, but they're different. Let's cover just this parable tonight, dealing with the parable of the pounds. Notice as Jesus now explains, verse number 12. And he said, therefore, so because of their idea of the misunderstanding of the kingdom, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Now, Remember that New Testament parables, not every single thing has to mean something, but a lot of these things are teaching a principle, teaching a certain thing. And so we can understand this, that Jesus Christ went and ascended to heaven to receive the kingdom from God, and one day he's coming back, and when he comes back, he is coming back as king. And so we know that Jesus Christ is going to return. That's the idea here. Verse number three. But before he goes, he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. Now when he delivered the ten pounds, a pound would be a heavy coin. It would be about 15 ounces. It would be close to a pound. That's why they called it a pound. And it would be worth in today's economy about $18.50. So he didn't give them much. He gave him $18.50 and gave him this idea to occupy till I come. And so he delivers a small amount of money, not a lot, a small amount of money. Remember, even today, $18 is not a lot. But he gave him all $18.50, told him, I want you to take this and I want you to occupy till I come. The idea of occupy comes from a root word that carries the idea to work diligently. I want you to work. I don't want you to stand there and occupy space. I want you to do something with what I've given to you. I've given you all something. Do something with what I've given to you. I am expecting you to work. And by the way, when I come back, I'm going to see what you've done with what I've given you. Notice in verse 14, as Jesus is tying this together, but his citizens, remember that the nobleman went and he's coming back to receive a kingdom. When he comes back, these people are his citizens. However, his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. 
Now, as a historical idea, that Herod the Great had ruled, his son Archelaus was a very much a mad man. And Archelaus was uh, sent to uh, Rome to see Augustus Caesar with the idea that he was supposed to uh, ask Augustus Caesar to officially make him the king of Israel, the king of Judah. However, the Jewish people hated him so much that they sent an ambassage to Augustus Caesar that said, we will not have this man rule over us. And because of this, uh, Augustus Caesar ruled that Archelaus could not be called king of Judah, that they gave him a smaller title and that he had to earn his title back. And when he failed, he was brought back to uh, Rome. Um, he was sentenced that, nope, you failed. And so they removed him and they put Roman government sh governorship uh, like Pontius Pilate in his stead. And so when Jesus is saying this, it is putting memories in mind of recent memory. This worked before. We had a king that we didn't like and we sent enough ambassage that we said we will not have him rule over us. And it worked. Well, may I remind you that Jesus Christ is not Archelaus. Jesus Christ is going to be the perfect king. However, the same group of people, we will not have this man rule over us. We hate him. We don't like him. And they have in mind that it's going to work. That if they all say we hate Jesus, if they all say we want to ban Jesus, if we want to make it so that way Jesus isn't allowed, then guess what? Jesus is not going to rule over us. That's the type of people we have to work with. Doesn't it sound like the type of people we're working with? But remember, what's the purpose of Jesus? To, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What is Jesus' purpose? To go to the people that God, that hates God, to show them that Jesus loves them and have those people turn to love Jesus and want him to rule over them. That's our job, to work with people that hate God. Jesus come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now that's an important part of the story. That we understand where we're occupying has come. We're to occupy and do what God has given us to do. What has he given us to do? To seek and to save that which was lost. That is our purpose. That is what God has given us to do. That's what we're supposed to occupy. And he is going to come back and give an account. How well did we do the job that was given to us? So we're getting the principle in mind, right? So then Jesus comes back. The nobleman comes back. Verse 15. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, so now he is officially king and he's coming back to rule his kingdom. Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So the first man comes to give an account. Then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. So remember, he was given $18. And at the end of it, his $18 got $180. That, for any banking term, is a good profit. A thousand percent profit. That's wonderful. He did good. And it carries with the idea implied in here that he had given everything to do the job that God's given him to do. That he put everything into it. It wasn't half job. He did his best with what he was supposed to do, with what God had given him to do. So notice as God rewards him. And he said to him, well, thou good servant. Notice, here's a man who did what God given him to do. And when Jesus comes back, he says, well done. 
Well done. Well. And then Jesus calls him good servant. You're a good servant because you did what you were asked to do. You did well. Because thou has been faithful in very little. Now, is $18 very little? Because he was faithful with that $18 and he had turned it to $180. It's still not a lot, but it's something. He says that have thou authority over 10 cities. So when Jesus Christ comes to have the authority, he's the kingdom, he now grants this person 10 cities. Now, $18 is not much. $180 is not much. But to have rulership over 10 cities, not villages, not small little towns, cities, that's a lot, isn't it? Just because he was faithful in little, because he proved that he could be trusted, that God says, because I trust you, you will now have rulership over 10 cities. By the way, may I remind you that when we get to the millennial kingdom, we are going to rule and reign with Christ. What bases what we rule? Our faithfulness to God. Our faithfulness to this one idea that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That we're working with a kingdom that hates him. And we're working with those people to bring them to look for his kingdom to come. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to occupy. And this first man put everything into it. And because of that, he was told, well, a good servant. And he was given authority over 10 cities. May I say that's a very generous God? Instead of just getting $180, he was given 10 cities. That is a very generous God. Just because you're faithful in little, he's going to give you much because he trusts you. That's pretty amazing. Notice we have a second servant come. Now we know there's 10, but the Bible is only mentioning three as a pattern. Notice the second one comes. And the second comes saying, Lord, thy pound has gained five pounds. Now that's pretty good to take $18 and to turn it uh, into five of those. Now, Notice Jesus does not tell this man good. And he does not say well done. He does not say faithful servant. This does imply that this man did something for the Lord. But he just didn't do all the way. He halfways kind of did his job. Okay. So it's not good and well done my faithful servant. But okay. He says likewise in verse 19. He said, likewise to him, be thou over five cities. Now, this is a generous God. Here is someone who didn't put his all into serving God, but did some. And God put him in charge of five cities. Because he could be trusted someone. Now, that's a pretty generous God, isn't it? That's an amazingly generous God. That he was trusted enough, and God says, I'm going to put you over five cities. You, you did all right. Here you go. Then we imply that the other one's got various judgments. But then we come to another guy. Notice verse 20. And another came said, Lord, here, behold, here is thy pound, which I've kept laid up in a napkin. Uh, that napkin is the same as a handkerchief. Now, in the Jewish world, this is very significant. We could just imagine someone putting a napkin and just put him, uh, putting it aside. But in Hebrew 
uh, culture that you were held responsible if you had someone else's goods and put it in a handkerchief. It, it's a picture of carelessness. You see, this guy was so lazy and so good for nothing, he didn't even dig a hole and put this in. He put it in a handkerchief and carelessly just set it somewhere. And now that the master comes back, he looks for the handkerchief and luckily the coin wasn't lost and then he goes, here you go. It is a total picture of laziness and carelessness. He didn't do anything. Nothing whatsoever. He just carelessly, oh, thank you, got this. Carelessly set it aside. Did nothing with it. Didn't care. And now he's got to stand before God, his master, his judge. And let's see how the judge is going to respond. Now, notice, if you don't mind, this man gets himself in trouble by talking. Verse 20. And another came and said, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I've kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an asture man. The word asture carries the idea of hard. And it carries with it the idea that it's because of you I didn't do anything with it. Because of your standards. Let me tell you, it was just too hard to serve you. Your rules are just too much. I just can't, I just didn't want to do with the way thing you, I just, because of that, it was just too hard. I just didn't even bother. Sounds like Christians I know today. Yep. It's, it's, it's. <laughs> It's your fault I didn't do anything with it. If you just were not so hard, if you just weren't so unreasonable, I might have done something with it. But you know, you just asked too much of me. I just, so I just did nothing. I just didn't want to deal with it. He got himself in trouble. You notice the first guy was almost worshiping God and saying, you're very generous. Wasn't God very generous with him? The second guy, God was very generous with him. The third guy, you're too hard. The first two did it out of love. The third one, it was all, no, you're too hard. I can't do it. It's just too much. It's just it. It's your fault. Can you imagine blaming the king that it's his fault that you didn't serve? If you just weren't so hard, if you just weren't so mean, if you weren't so demanding, I, I might have done something. Almost sounds like all of America right now. How dare you want me to work? It's just, just unreasonable. Unreasonable. Because I'm asking you to do what you're supposed to do? Amen. Unreasonable. I, you can't make me do that. And so because, because you were so, I just set it aside. I knew that you would come back. I just figured I'd just give it back. Okay. So he got himself in trouble. He's going to be judged based off of his own account. By the way, there are going to be Christians who will stand before God and give an excuses. We've seen them before in some of the lessons that we had that <laughs> they're going to say, I didn't know it. I didn't know it was my job. Proverbs chapter 24 speaks about it. I didn't know it was my job. Yeah, well, it was still your job. You were expected to do something. God didn't save you just because of no reason. He saved you for a reason. And your reason is have his reason that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And one day everyone will stand before God and give an account. Christians will have to stand before God and give an account. At the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to be judged by how well you serve the Lord in his purpose. What was his purpose? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Well, I just couldn't because it's just, you just, there's too much in me. Notice again as he speaks, verse 21. For I fear thee because thou art a store man, and thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest what thou didn't sow. Listen, you're off in heaven, and you wanted me to do this work? I just, it was just unreasonable. Why do I have to do the work? Why do I have to do it? Couldn't you have done it another way? You ever see someone who talks themselves into trouble? He's standing before God. We know this thing. People are going to stand before God. And they're going to talk like this. That God saved them. And they have the audacity to try to give excuses of why they can't serve. Because Jesus is just too mean. He's too demanding. Listen, you, just, you want me to go to church all the time? It's just unreasonable. You want me to read my Bible all the It's just unreasonable. You want me to talk to others about going to heaven? I just crossing the line. I just, I just want to be saved from hell. I just want to go to heaven. Won't that work? There are going to be a lot of people. Yeah, praise the Lord, you're going to heaven. But you have a pit stop called the millennial kingdom, a thousand year reign of Christ. And that will be directly affected on our faithfulness to God and his purpose. What is his purpose? The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That we're working with people that hate God. And our purpose is to prepare them for Jesus coming kingdom. That they will accept the king. So notice what Jesus says. Verse 22. And he saith to him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. May I pause there again? That is why it's always dangerous for us to open our mouth and say silly things. Because out of our own mouth, we're going to be judged. You know that God hears everything that you say, every little joke that you give, every complaint, every murmuring. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. That is a frightening statement. He says, Thou wicked servant. Now may I remind you that this servant is going to the kingdom. Do you know that Christians can be wicked? They're going to heaven. They're going to the millennial kingdom. But they weren't faithful to God and God called them wicked. Thou knewest that I will store man, taking up that I lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Wherefore then givest not my money into the bank? That at the, my coming I may have required mine own with usury. Now may I also remind you that in the ancient world money was not common. You had extremely rich people and you had poor, poor people. And so any little money that you put in the bank had high interest rates. And he was so lazy he wouldn't even put it in the bank. He just kept it in a, kept it in a handkerchief and barely kept track of it. Set it somewhere where it could have been lost. And he didn't even get usury. Remember, usury is interest. He didn't even do anything with it. He didn't even use it to be given for the Lord, to make any kind of money. He did nothing with it. Lazy and no good, all for himself. And so Jesus said, you didn't even do that. I mean, as lazy as you are, you could have at least put it in the bank. But you wouldn't even do that. And so now it did nothing. All this time, it stayed the same, did nothing. You didn't even attempt to do anything with it. So, verse 24. He said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound. So this servant, you take the pound and you go give it to him that hath ten pounds. So, take it from this guy 
and give it to the guy that I trust. Give it to the guy who is faithful. Give it to the guy that has proven himself. Give it to him. Interesting thing that not only did God give him the cities, he also let him have the money. And then verse 25, the snowflakes speak. And they said unto him, Lord, he had 10 pounds. It's not fair. He has 10 pounds. May I say that God's not looking for fairness. He's looking for justice. Or for the idea of equity. The idea that people need to be equal. No, he's looking for what is right. He's given it to who he trusts. This guy was trusted. And let's give it to the guy that I trust. And take it away from the one I did not trust. And again, all the people, the crowd that's around Jesus are saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. Why does he have to get it all? Because I trust him. You understand that when God runs the kingdom, he's allowed to do with whatever he wants. And he's only going to give authority to those that he trusts. And the ones that he does not trust is not going to have any. in a different message, but there's going to be a lot of street sweepers up in heaven. That's all God can trust them to do. Praise the Lord, they made it. But that's all God can trust them with is just the street. (coughs) Be trusted with menial task. That's a big deal. A very big deal. Verse 26. For I say unto you that unto everyone which hath shall be given... And from him that hath not, even that which shall be taken away from him. This is part of the judgment. In the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to receive rewards and loss of rewards. And for those that are not faithful, God's going to take those stuff and he's going to give it to someone that he trusts. He says, this is what I wanted for you, but because I couldn't trust you, I got to give it to someone else. It is a very big deal to stand before God. By the way, When he's talking about the parable of the cities, I believe that this is literal cities that he's going to put us in charge of. Think of how many cities that Wisconsin has. We have a good number of cities. If someone's placed in charge of 10 cities, that also implies all the stuff that goes around it. To be the governor of Wisconsin. Because God trusts you in his kingdom. That's pretty good. That's a lot of responsibility that God trusts you with. Notice as Jesus goes on. Verse 27. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them. Bring them hither and slay them before me. And by the way that will happen. Everyone who does not trust Jesus Christ at his coming. When Jesus Christ comes back they are going to die. The millennial kingdom is going to start with no lost people. We have the parable of the sheep and the goats. The parable of the wheat and the tares that kind of back this up. That Jesus Christ is going to kill everyone who has never trusted him as Savior when the millennial kingdom starts. That's a hard thing. Well, you say, well, that's very hard. Yeah. And you know what our job is? Is to take those people who hate God and to bring them to the place where they're ready for his kingdom. That's our job. Because Jesus come to seek and to save that's lost. He's not willing that any should perish. But all should come to repentance. Our job is to occupy. And to work with those that hate God. And bring them to the place where like Zacchaeus. Where they come to Jesus. And they change their life. And now they're ready for Jesus kingdom to come. We know who we got to work with. We're not working with people who are for us. We're working for people who are against Christ. But we're to occupy. And be faithful. 
with God's purpose. What is God's purpose? For him to seek and to save that which was lost. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, is your purpose God's purpose? Are you coming with the idea to seek and to save that which was lost? Knowing that we're working with people that do not want Jesus to rule over them. And our responsibility is to work with those people and to get them ready to come to the kingdom. That is our purpose. We can get busy doing all kinds of other things and ignore the one thing God has given us to do. Everyone has something to do. Every one of us could get involved with what God has given us to do. At the very least, you could you put invest your money to watching Amen. God work. But that's the very least. But everyone has the responsibility to do something. Knowing that we're going to have to stand before God and give an account. Now, as Christians, we're not going to be cast into hell. That's not the option. We're going to have rewards or loss of rewards. And we're going to stand before God and give an account. And what excuse could you give him for not serving God? What excuse could you come up with of why you weren't being faithful? Especially when you're told and given instruction and he gave it very clear. That he's going to go prepare for the kingdom. When he receives the kingdom he's coming back. When he comes back we're given an account. And then we're going to rule and reign or we're going to miss out. And it's based off of our faithfulness. Could he trust us? So the question is, can you be trusted. Is it shown by your actions? This is a big deal. You understand that once you get saved, praise the Lord, you're going to heaven, but that's not the end of it. It's the beginning of it. The thousand year reign of Christ, a thousand years is a long time. And what our responsibility is during that thousand year reign of Christ is dependent on what we do now, we have a lifelong job application, job interview, that's going to pick what we do in the millennial kingdom. What a great responsibility is for us that we can be trusted. Do you have a desire to be found faithful? He's our Savior. He's done so much for us. Is He worth your service now? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And the purpose of Christ should be our purpose. That's what he's given us to do. Is that what the purpose of your life is? To seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530 6308. Once again, that number is 920. 920- 
480-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.